Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about the very possible public school teacher strike, the first detox center funded by Measure 110, and our city's wild and unregulated short-term rental market. Joining me on this week's News Roundup are Willamette Week's Dive Podcast host and Potlander column writer, Brianna Wheeler, and our very own lead producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, September 15th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. John, Brianna, so nice to have you this morning. Good morning. Hey. So nice to be here. Thank you. You know, um, before we jump into this week's news, I wanted to read out loud an email that we got from a listener because he poses a really interesting question. So uh, our reader, Jim, he wrote, hey, I really enjoy the Friday discussions. I have a, a question for the panelists. Um, he especially had a question for Sophie Peel, which by the way, I did ask and I have her answer, but I'm a little bit more curious about what you guys are going to say. And he's wondering if there's any part of the Portland, Oregon governance that works well as it's supposed to like a single part. And I think what he's saying is that every Friday we come on here and we make everyone listening think that, that nothing works. (laughs) And I feel bad about that. Because journalism is obviously in the business of pointing out what needs fixing, because of course there are aspects of city government that run well, or else we wouldn't have water and the garbage would be left out and all that stuff. But I was curious what you guys thought. I mean, I think that a city government that runs well is kind of invisible Mm -hmm. and like, all right, let's compare Portland city government to like the way that some other places work. We aren't like constantly running out of money and having to cut city services Mm -hmm. down to nothing. We don't have like, I do believe that most city leadership, even if we disagree with them, really does want to do good things. It's not like they're just using city government as a graft machine, like a lot of other places are. Um, yeah, I think there are plenty of things that are working well. Yeah. What about you, Brianna? Waste management? Yeah, I, that's what I was saying. Immediately, <laughs> I was like, I love waste management. <laughs> never had to think about it. They have never <laughs> let me down. They've never let me down yet. But also, I'm very curious, what did Sophie say? So Sophie, uh, for those listening, is another panelist that comes on on Fridays. And I reached out to her and she said, you know, I wish I knew. Like, I feel pretty uneducated (laughs) in this area as our city hall reporter. Um, So she was being, you know, just like, I don't want to get into this. But she also said, no bureau comes to mind. That being said, (laughs) I've got to imagine there's some city function, whether it's water maintenance or something else that's been, you know, that's very technical, that is less dysfunctional than the bureau's 
or we hear about often, like parks, transportation, procurement, whatever. Um, but she's like, but I can't say for certain because, again, she's in the business of pointing out all the cracks. Like she's not in the business of mm-hmm. like rejoicing. You know, that's not her job. So if any city workers are out there and you're just like, hey, this one, I would love to hear it. I'm not saying it doesn't. It's clear that it does, you know. Shout out your favorite department. Yeah, like tell us what's good, city of Portland. Um, <laughs> and in that spirit, I wanted to ask you guys, first question was, if you had to work for any bureau in the city, which one would it be and why? Hmm. Waste management? <laughs> That goes back to waste. You would look so good in that onesie. Oh, I know. I look good in everything. So that's going to work out great for me. I'm imagining the like, what was it? Like a Drake in future music video where they were garbage men. <laughs> that's what I'm imagining you like wearing some like designer clothing. But like 100% that is what informed that answer. <laughs> what about you, John? Um, uh, I think I'd work for the... Uh, Portland Arts Commission because it seems like they're not doing anything and like that'd be chill. (laughs) (laughs) Zing. Damn. I know that was a zing. Well, I, mine is super earnest. Like I would want to do Parks and Rec. Not just because that's one of my favorite TV shows but because I love Parks and Rec and I I think that's one of my favorite aspects of living in Portland is how many green spaces Mm -hmm. we have. And every time anyone comes through, they're just like, oh my God, Portland's so beautiful. And it's always the parks, you know? So even though there might be some issues there as well, like, hey man, we got parks and we got rec. And I'm I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. I feel like you get like a cute uniform too. Yeah. Like a sort of like a fake, you know, ranger, like a, yeah. (gasps) Oh, yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd rock those little shorts. I'd be into it. The little shorts. Yes, maybe the sash. Maybe a little neckerchief. A cute little jaunty hat. Are you thinking of a Boy Scout? Am I thinking of a Boy Scout? <laughs> Am I thinking of a Boy I Scout? I think you're thinking of a Boy Scout. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brianna, what is your story for this week? Well, this week, I am pulling a story from pretty much every news outlet is covering this. And it's the... um the upcoming teacher's strike. Parents, prepare yourselves, and non-parents, also prepare yourselves, because kids are very much going to be back in the wild. I'm going to give you guys the current breakdown. The collective bargaining agreement between PAT, that's the Portland Association of Teachers, and PPS, that's Portland Public Schools, that expired in June. And the Teachers Association's 4,500-plus members are right now working without contracts. All right. Union leaders, they called for state mediation this summer, and that was already after negotiating for 150 days. So mediation in earnest didn't even begin to late August. So where we're at now is that a strike in Portland is almost certainly going to happen in October. Pat is asking for a 21.5% cost of living increase over three years, which honestly, it seems frugal considering that $25 worth of groceries costs $75. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the district is like, no, yeah, uh, we can do 10%. Now, they're claiming that there simply isn't enough cash. But the union immediately calls BS because the district's budget increased from 2019 to the current school year by $12.5 million. That was to pay for increased administrative and non-represented positions. And in addition to that, (laughs) Oregon saw historic investment in um, K-12 schools with the state investing an unprecedented, deep breath, 10.2 billion, with a B, mm-hmm. billion 
into the state into the state school fund, and that pays for the majority of school operations. So teachers are asking for this bump. They're asking for this 21% bump. They also want very legitimate, realistic asks. They want more time to plan lessons. Mm -hmm. They want caps on class sizes. They want stricter discipline policies. And this is where I get a little like my hackles uh, start to stick up. Is that correct? What do hackles do, John? I, I, I was really hoping this wouldn't come back to me because I had the same thought. What is a hackle? And what does it do? <laughs> Listeners, if you know what a hackle is. They only come out when you're when you're angry. Hmm. So maybe it's got something to do with your angry muscles. I'm, I'm assuming something's sticking in your craw. Okay. Well, this is what's really stri- sticking in my craw and raising up my hackles. My craws and my hackles. Okay. Whoo, they're on fire because of this one right here. <laughs> Teachers need more help in special needs classrooms. Mm -hmm. And I know this one personally because my child stopped attending school in 2022 because his needs are too great to be met in a crowded classroom with too few educators, therapists, etc. When I tell you I cannot support these teachers enough, my mom was a public teacher and there has never been a version of my life as an adult where my child didn't go to public school. Mm -hmm. So this this resonates with me so deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Camus School... Camas School District teachers in Washington, they won last week and they weren't asking for as much, but they got a 13% increase in compensation. Evergreen Public Schools, they won and they got a 17% increase over the next three years. There is evidence that other teachers associations are hitting similar targets. But Portland District officials say that we can't compare our situations because the states structure their funding differently. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, so it certainly makes sense that the union isn't buying it. They aren't buying the district's, the district's argument that there isn't enough money. And yeah, we have a strike to look forward to in October. So I'll see you guys on the picket line. Wow. I heard that, the, uh, you know, the story that I read was more about a win that um, is it Portland Federation of School Professionals, which is basically like the assistants and the uh, library assistants and other admin style positions that still interact with students. They asked for $20 per hour. They're like, wouldn't it be tight if we could afford, you know, food? Yeah. And they got it. But then what I read, all I read about what was going on with Pat was it started to get nasty. I mean, that's what this yeah. uh, this article, uh, I believe it was Rachel Saslow from Alignment Week. It's been nasty. And, and the thing that stuck out at me from that same article by Rachel is that it said, you know, let's say the teachers go on strike and school is canceled. Well, because of this contract, now all these uh, administrative assistants are still going to have to go to school. So we could be sitting in a situation (laughs) where the librarians, the library assistants are sitting in Portland public schools and there's no students or teachers there, which is just like, oh my my gosh. Yeah, (laughs) I also heard that they would have to wear some sort of identification as they cross picket lines so people wouldn't beat them up. So they wouldn't confuse oh them goodness. as scabs. I mean, they didn't say, I mean, you know, it wasn't said beat them up, but I'm just like, you know, so they wouldn't get like hissed and booed. It's like, look, I'm yeah. just a library assistant and I have to sit here for nothing. Come on, let me go. Yeah. Yeah, I was really excited about Rachel Saslow's piece because I was like, oh, a win. This is going to be, this is the start. This is the start of winning for us. And so I was very excited to like dig into that. And so I did. And then I was like, oh, wait, no. No, 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 no. It's still nasty. It's still bad. I I think it's interesting that this is happening now, and we've seen so much labor action this summer, you know, both in Portland and across the country. We've seen healthcare strikes, uh, 
you know, the Powell's union strike comes to mind. And, And like, you know, and nationally thinking about what's going on with the UAW, which conceivably by the time this podcast is out, the UAW could be on strike. It just seems like we went through this period of the pandemic where so many workers had to sort of suffer through really unbearable conditions. And this is sort of the snap back and people standing up and demanding what their due is. And like, that's kind of exciting. You know, it's kind of cool to have like a new labor moment where people who are the rank and file workers have a chance to be like, hey, we actually need more. Um, This could screw up a lot of parents. uh, a lot of mom and dad's lives are going to get weird if this happens. Yeah, I, I, John, sorry, I didn't want to call you out, but I remember we were discussing this story yesterday, and you were just like discussing. You were thinking about the idea of library, library assistance. I just had like a George Bush moment. Um, library <laughs> assistance sitting in a in an empty library, and you were just like, you know, usually. I'm pretty pro labor. And I was like, eh, stop. <laughs> and I just want to point that out because it made me laugh so hard. And I was like, it's true. It's <laughs> a wonderful way to open. And it's just in such, it's just such contrast to what you just said. So I just, well, <laughs> that's the other half. I'm not of saying it. gross I mean- didn't happen in 24 hours. I'm just saying I loved what you said before and it just pushed. <laughs> Fourth, this. I mean, <laughs> but it's also insane, okay. right? Like, okay, I mean, these sorts of things do help workers for sure, but like, they're also kind of insane sometimes. So, yeah. So, Brianna, like, what you know, as as the person here with the most skin in the game, what would be your ideal um, outcome? Oh, that the teachers get every single goddamn thing they're asking for. And that no administrator says, no, actually, what I think would work better, (laughs) or in my experience, I think, because the teachers are here, they're in the rooms, they're interacting with the children, they know. Um, I'm so I've just been through it. My mother was on strike, you know, every four or five years, she uh, taught in Los Angeles. So I've been on a lot of like teacher picket Mm. lines. And I've heard these arguments so many times. um, And it all comes down to like these, just these weird power plays, where People uh, that are sitting in these higher seats, um, they really look down on the teachers. Mm. Expl- make it make sense. I don't get yeah. it. A teacher mm. teaches in a classroom for 24 years. An administrator gets a job five years ago and they're bossing a teacher around. It makes no sense. Make it make sense. Well, well, John, what is your story of the week? Also a kind of win, but like... Also gnarly story, uh, the first Measure 110-funded inpatient detox facility is getting set to open. There's this uh, nonprofit, Recovery Works Northwest. Um, They've been doing different types of treatment for opioid addiction for a long time, but this is their first time operating an inpatient facility. Um, You've probably been hearing rumblings about this for a while, but it finally started training its staff this month. Uh, set to open its doors within the next few weeks. Uh, they're still just sort of like getting the staff trained and sort of getting mm-hmm. all the bugs worked out before they uh, bring people in. But like, it's a big deal. You know, we've had this long, long, long road with Measure 110 where all of this money was allocated and it took a really long time to get out. But this new detox center is going to have 16 beds. Uh, they're hoping to serve about 1,200 people a year. So hooray for that. Wow. 
It's also one of the few detox centers that will accept Oregon Health Plan patients. And to me, that's like, Mm -hmm. that's what we need. You obviously don't need a detox center for people who, you know, who have means to go elsewhere. This is like the, this is the first step of a very long road to recovery for a lot of people who have no means. And I, and it's what we wanted for Measure 110. It's what we've been, that's what we were hoping for, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Wasn't this the whole point of Measure 110? I was all, all under the impression that 110 was less about making drugs de- decriminalized and this happening. This yeah. I thought this was the priority. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I dug in um, mostly from an article by Jamie Parfit at KGW that lays out a lot of the weird um, sort of red tape of Measure 110 that I didn't know. Actually, detox centers have been one of the hardest things for people to sort of get through the law and and get funding for because there's a couple provisions in Measure 110 that make it super tricky. One is that it constantly talks about low barrier uh, treatment options, right? Like that's like the whole thing that Measure 110 was about, low barrier treatment options, which is great. But like with a detox center, you can't – you don't necessarily have room for people just to walk in off the street. You know, mm-hmm. and with the intensity of fentanyl addiction, you know, we've talked to service providers that have said, like, look, we used to be able to do some of this in outpatient settings. That doesn't work anymore. This stuff is like way too serious to be able to do it in like without like serious inpatient rehab. How how are they going to staff these? Is it going to be nurses and therapists and then like the whole up and down of recovery? Are they going to be helping people get jobs and houses or is it? We're just getting you clean. I I think it's just getting you clean, but they are very uh, focused on like 24 hours a day staffing, seven days a week that, you know, these are uh, residential treatment centers. You know, it's medically managed withdrawals. There are going to be medically medical professionals along with it. It's not just like they throw you in a bed and lock the door. Yeah. And do you know, have you heard if there's going to be more of these opening now that this one somehow broke through? I mean, the thing is like this isn't run by the city right mm-hmm. this is a nonprofit that like has accepted money so like conceivably there's going to be more as long as there's a demand for it right like we do already have a few uh uh sort of withdrawal management facilities in the city they're always at capacity so there's definitely a demand for it but it kind of comes down to like if there are providers that are willing to do it, that are able to make the money work, but no, I, it's not like the um, homeless camp plan where the city has like a strategy to make it happen, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. But like there is a demand. Like Central City Concern is like the biggest one. They have sixty beds, which is much bigger than this facility. Um, they admitted twenty seven hundred people last year, but they turned away twenty one hundred. You know, and still, this center is not going to accept walk-ins. You have to like have an appointment. Um, so it, it, you know, it is a step in the right direction. But I, it, in no way is it like, yep, we got it fixed. Everybody who needs a bed now has one. It is like one step along. It's going to continue to be a very long road. Yeah. Well, um, let's take a quick break here, and when we return, uh, more headlines of the week.
Well, uh, my story this week, you guys, was one written by Ted Sickinger from The Oregonian. It's all about unlicensed Airbnbs. And just to remind us all, Portland was among the first cities in the country to legalize short-term rentals in 2014. And uh, what that meant was we were supposed to have permits and strict rules and regulations. Some of the toughest in the nation was the quote. The city even like uh, collaborated with Airbnb and they had a special software where things were going to go through much quicker. And and it was it supposed to be a good thing, a boom to our economy. They thought that this was going to help somehow. Mm-hmm. But according to Ted's reporting, uh, the city has become overwhelmed with applicants for these types of short-term rentals. And in 2018, it was reported then that like something like 80% of these uh you know, units were operating without a permit. That's when the city and Airbnb was like, well, let's get together and, and, you know, create a database and figure this out. Um, But as of today, safety inspections of units are almost non-existent. Compliance checks only happen if someone complains, like a neighbor that's just like, hey, I don't want this Airbnb next door, you know? Mm -hmm. And get this right now, no one even knows the exact number of short-term rentals that are operating in Portland. Um... And the conjecture... If only there was like a search engine. If there's only like a website. Oh, there was a way. Or an app that you could go to well, and look it up. Well, here's the deal, John. <laughs> it's not just Airbnb. It's Verbo. It's Verbo. Verbo. It's like all of the of the sure. private property management companies. It's not just Airbnb. We keep bringing up Airbnb because it's the largest one. And it's the one mm-hmm. that created these supposed laws and regulations that were supposed to go across the board for all the other platforms that do this type of stuff. Um, But the conjecture is that the city, uh, since it's still getting a cut from taxes and lodging fees, no matter if the short-term rental is licensed or a license, that they're just not prioritizing setting up more regulated system because they're still getting no money flow from it. Mm -hmm. It just, that all just made me curious as to why this even matters. Like, why, why do we care? Like, why do we need these types of regulations? And why is it, why is it important for the city to know how many of these short-term rentals there are? And so, of course... I fell into a little rabbit hole, but before I become like that Charlie Day meme, um, I wanted to ask you guys, <laughs> are you guys more of like a hotel or an Airbnb traveler? Ooh, it has totally changed. I am on the like cultural zeitgeist where I was all mm-hmm. Airbnb for a while. And in the last couple of years, I've gone back to like big time hotel time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's more like anytime I'm going to a city, like if I'm going to like an urban area, I don't even look at Airbnb anymore. I'm just like, nope, not doing it. I use mm-hmm. Airbnb to go out to uh, more remote areas. Mm-hmm. If I want to like be out in nature, if I want to get like a cute little cabin somewhere, like that's what I'm going for Airbnb. I think I'm kind of on the same wave. I don't fuck with Airbnb at all. I will go through Verbo because they, I have had terrible mm-hmm. Airbnb experiences. I have had the, the roach experience, the termite experience, the bed bug experience. So I'm off that wave. And also if I'm paying those rental prices, I want my sheets cleaned every yep. day, not by me. <laughs> I want fresh towels every day washed, not by mm-hmm. me. I'm not mopping your floors and also paying you. Mm-hmm. But also like I will do the verbal, do those rentals. If I have family coming to town and we all want to go to the coast and there's like eight of us, that's mm-hmm. when it makes sense to me to rent a mm-hmm. house. Well, yeah, I also kind of uh, dropped off and realized that I love hotels and if I could live in one, I would. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know, man. So I love this vision of 75-year-old Claudia. Oh, God. (laughs) 75, 45-year-old Claudia, bring it. I'm I'm like the top floor of a a, a hotel with like a little dog, like eating lunch. And she she took up smoking when she was 60. Oh, I can't wait to do that. (laughs) You know what's so funny is I do, like, I am almost there. Like, (laughs) I just brandished a cigarette. Um, Kids don't smoke. Okay, so here's the problem (laughs) that I found out uh, as to why the city should be keeping track or correctly regulating these types of rentals. And it's because it's contributing to our housing crisis. And I didn't see this immediately, so so I had to have a smarter person break this down for me. So immediately, uh, it's leaving city officials uh, you know, in the dark. They don't know how it's impacting livability for those of us who live here permanently. Um, mm-hmm. So to put this in perspective, something you, you just brought up, you know, John, where you're just like, oh, if we only knew how many, because um, <laughs> Airbnb <laughs> alone is currently advertising something close to 3,770 short-term rentals in Portland, right? And right now the city only has 830 rental units with a current permit across all the platforms. And yeah, and so yeah. so that that means there's a huge backlog on permits meaning that people are just getting frustrated with a city permitting system and they're going rogue, which makes it easier for landlords that don't want to deal with what they consider our city's strict tenant protections to abandon the long-term rental market in favor of nightly listings. So the city is making it so easy for pretty much anyone to get into the short-term rental uh, market that it's dwindling the pool of available housing. And match that with, do you remember when the city was like, everyone, make an ADU, it's going to be so easy. And everyone did make those ADUs, but guess what? They didn't rent them long-term. They started Airbnbs. (laughs) So Mm -hmm, that's something mm -hmm. that tenant advocates in Portland have been saying for years, that, you know, businesses like Airbnb make it so available rental properties are not accessible to permanent residents. And uh, some in the tenant rights world are even saying that all the increased taxes that we now are paying to fund affordable housing in our area is now actually just... Uh, subsidizing platforms like Airbnb and and Verbo and Ugh. all those places, but 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 before we get all outraged, Brianna, I heard your I heard your sigh. <laughs> I heard you're mm-hmm. like ready to my hackles, my hackles. <laughs> oh my god, the, I heard the hackles unhinge. <laughs> Uh, since the city is not doing such a great job of regulating these types of rental properties, the full scope of the problem, of course, is unclear. So we can only guess from what's going on from the numbers that we do have, which is literally just what these online platforms are advertising. But also, like, who knows how accurate that is, you know? I mean, I mean, fuck Airbnb. Ugh, <laughs> fuck Airbnb. You know, that, that's, that's sort of like where I'm at. Like, yes, of course. Like, how does Airbnb work? The people who own Airbnbs are people who have enough money to have a second property as an investment mm-hmm. property. And, like, where are you going to buy an investment property? It's not going to be in the nicest neighborhoods in Portland. It's going to be in the neighborhoods where people who need somewhat affordable housing would otherwise be living. So you could have, you know... If somebody is a landlord and, like, renting a house to somebody who needs it so they can live closer to their job, that's, like, one thing. But to turn it into just a vacation rental and to to uh, appeal to out-of-town visitors who want to have, like, an authentic experience at the expense of people who actually live here? I mean, fuck Airbnb. Mm. Ooh. This is a little bit... On the topic, same, same, different. Okay, I was in New Orleans. What last yes, year? Yes, that's exactly last. what I was thinking about. Right? about what happened to the Marini and Bywater and like those yes, neighborhoods just absolutely. completely 
just they're completely gone. gone. People yeah. don't live there anymore. And it's, I went there, I have like ancestry there. I was trying to like feel the blood in the ground. I was trying to connect with the people. Where were the people? Mm. Yeah. There were no the people. It was all drunk bachelorettes pissing in the streets, barfing in the corners. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. fuck Airbnb. Wow. And like, and like, okay. Oh, there's more. So there's this problem with, with regulating Airbnbs. It takes work. Um, New York just figured this out. Have you guys been following No, this? no, tell me. New York just smashed Airbnb. Uh, there was this article from Slate I was reading. A month ago, there were around 22,000 short-term listings on Airbnb in New York. As of this week, there were fewer than 7,000. Like, they just passed a law that said, basically, like, hey, you can't just, like, own a property and rent it out if you don't live mm -hmm. there. Um, and, and it, and it solved it. It fixed it. Yeah. But I wanted also to talk real quickly in terms of safety and the lack of city enforcement means that's, that these short-term rentals obviously aren't held to the same safety standards as hotels. So we're, we're talking like no smoke alarms, fire suppression systems, liability insurance. And I think we've all heard of the horror stories of travelers dying of carbon monoxide poisoning in Airbnbs, Whoa. you know, or the hidden mm -hmm. cameras that they're finding and all that. And yeah. so for me, all this coupled with the news that um, a local firm in a national apartment price fixing lawsuit uh, is, you know, is using software to artificial artificially increase rents is just like making me wish that our city had stricter like regulations all around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit more aware because this is about housing and we are in a housing crisis. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So here are some things that are changing though. Just since we were all, you know, talking about subtle wins, uh, just so you know, uh, this issue has been building for years. But uh, Carmen Rubio is the city commissioner who has overseen the Bureau of Development Services since January. And that's the bureau that's supposed to be keeping track of all the Airbnbs and other services like them. And the bureau announced that effective October 1st, short-term rental operators will now need to apply directly to the city for a permit. Because before, they were just going through Airbnb. And Airbnb was somehow letting the city know. And then the city would send out a packet uh, and be like, hey, can you give this back to us in 30 days? <laughs> um, but those applying to rent two bedrooms or less will still be able to operate immediately, which is what's happening. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and if there's an, and there's like not an actual inspector visiting everyone. Uh, so people can just lie. They can just say, yeah, I only have a one bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> Unless again, someone complains. I, I, I could say more, but I feel like I've, I've. I've, I've blown my top enough on this topic. Yeah, I've never seen you more mad, John. I didn't know that <laughs> Airbnbs could get your hackles. Uh, Look at his hackles. Yeah, it, it is a real, it's They're a real hackle. It's a hackle raise, yeah. razor. <laughs> oh, man. Well, any final thoughts before we um, hopefully don't ruin our listener Jim's day? Um, I hope he leaves this, <laughs> this listening with a bit more hope. Waste management is out here killing you it. guys. I mean, seriously, <laughs> Jim, put your trash out when you're supposed yeah. to find out what what happens the next day. It gets picked up. Hey, man, that's pretty it's awesome. Amazing. It is. It's it's trash day up here in St. John's, and all is right with the world. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, John and Brianna, for hanging out with me and uh, going through the news of the week. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. 
That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producers this week were Lizzie Goldsmith and Julia Fiaioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. 